So I set my tablet down somewhere, and I don't know where I put it. However, I am a ministry professional. We're going to do it anyway. That's what happens around here. Shelly's like, I don't know if I can do that, Pastor Kev. I say, Shelly, you are a ministry professional. You can do this. So, hey, we want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. Welcome everybody that's here. We're super excited to have you this morning. We're going to talk about joy in all seasons. Anybody want joy in all seasons? So true. Why don't you say this? I'm as happy as I want to be. It's true. Happiness and joy is a choice more than anything else. We're going to see what Scripture talks about. There's a guy in the Bible called Paul. Paul was educated in the Jewish system. He was raised through the Jewish system. God established a system of education for his people. They were called Talmudines. They were, te- they were people of the word. They were raised and taught with the word from a very, very young age. And you see Peter, like a, Peter's a fisherman, but he could quote scripture like crazy. You see a guy like Stephen who's being stoned with stones for t- talking about Christ, and he was able to expound the entire history of the Jewish people, just a common person, because their entire culture was raised in and through the word. And Paul would be considered one of the highest of the high. He sat, he was a student of the council. So they had a Sanhedrin, they had a council, a Jewish council. And if you had one of these rabbis as your teacher, you were A, either incredibly prolific, in other words, you knew what you were doing, or B, your family had a lot of money. And Paul had both. Paul was very smart, and Paul's family was very, very wealthy. And Paul was a student of a mentor named Gamaliel, Just to give you some perspective, Gamaliel still taught today. Gamaliel's teachings, this rabbi that was in the time of Christ, not in Christian churches, but in Judaism. So Paul was a student of Gamaliel, and you had to know what you were doing. Gamaliel just didn't accept every every student. You had to qualify. You had to go through interviews, right? And then after the interview, then he told you how much it's going to be to tutor your son. So Paul was a very, very smart person. He had everything. But then he comes to Jesus and he says, everything I know is nothing. He was so loyal to the Jewish system that he was persecuting Christians. He viewed Christianity as a threat. And so he, believing that he was doing God a favor, went on a rampage. Aha! Ministry professional Shelley McKnight has located the tablet, everyone. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you so much. Uh, so, but I'll just go off my phone. It's all good. But I have a backup in case anything goes wrong. <laughs> so Paul, Paul was a guy who had spent his entire life and he viewed Christianity as a threat. He actually got letters from the high council and was pursuing Christians. The dude's going from town to town, finding Christians, authorizing either their arrest or their murder or the seizure of all of their possessions. If you were a Christian back then, it cost you something. This wasn't shiny, happy people days. This was your life was on the line. Yeah? You were pursued not only by the Jewish, the Jewish councils that viewed Christianity as a threat, you were also pursued by the Roman government. The government itself was against you. And they could indeed seize your property. And they could indeed enslave you. And they could indeed take everything they wanted from you at any time they wanted. You should be grateful you live in the United States, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, there was no due process of law back then. They did it at will. And so Paul, being raised in this environment, he comes to Jesus. 
And he realizes that Jesus isn't a contradiction. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the prophets have spoken. He is the fulfillment. He is the glory of his people, Israel. He's not against them. He was for them. And, Jesus, and Paul gave up everything. If anybody had a right to complain and anybody had a right to not have joy, it was this guy. I'm just going to give you a four-year window. When he came to Jesus, forget it. He lost everything. He was disowned by his family, disowned by all of his, not just his immediate family, but all of the extension of his relatives. Paul was so, Paul's an amazing figure. He was a Hellenistic Jew. He was educated in Greek, which again tells you something. He was rich. Number two, he was educated by uh, Gamaliel. He was rich. And he, number three, he actually got Gamaliel to take him on as a student, which means the guy was smart. He was able to, he was prolific. Peter didn't make it that far. They train you in a system, and Judaism would train you in a system, and if you, were, if you showed proficiency, they would continue to advance you. But if you could not demonstrate proficiency, they'd say, ah, you know, Peter, you're doing pretty good, but, you know, we think fishing is more your life calling. They, 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 they weeded them out. That's what they did, right? They weeded them out. They all went into different directions, and the, the most prolific of them continued to go up. So they were elite. Paul was an elite. Paul gave up everything for Jesus, literally everything. It cost him everything. And he said, I count it as waste for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. This is just a four-year window. He wrote one of the most hopeful books in the Bible, Philippians. If you want hope, read Philippians. Need hope? Read Philippians. You need some psychotherapy? Read Psalms. You need some hope? Read Philippians. But four years prior, the last four years leading up to the writing of the book of Philippians, this is Paul's life, right? Four years. This is the last four years. You think you've had it bad the last four years? I don't think you've had it this bad. Four years of Paul's life. He spent two years in Caesarea, imprisoned on false charges. Didn't get, even get to see the judge. Nothing. They imprisoned him. They charged him falsely and threw him in jail. Two years. He got shipwrecked on a ship. Ship gets wrecked day and a night in the deep, if you will. He loses all of his possessions. What meager possessions he still had were gone. <laughs> He's stranded, stranded on an island, bit by a viper. We can all identify with that. A lot of people in the last four years have been bit by vipers, right? You know, people with the fangs and you know, people striking out at you. He's bit by a viper. He arrives in Rome. He's arrested again and accused falsely. <laughs> they put him in a hole in the ground. The Roman prisons weren't nice. They weren't nice. You know, I tell people they didn't even keep records back then. If they remembered you were in prison, oh, yeah, that guy. When did he get in there? Oh, that was 10 years ago. Oh, what was he in for? They didn't, they didn't keep records. Egypt and Rome, they didn't care. If they threw you in prison, you were a vagabond. You were worthless to them. You meant nothing. And so Paul was thrown in prison, and he was thrown into a hole in the ground. You know, it wasn't club fed like we have. This was a hole in the ground. This was not a nice place to be. They chained him to a guard 24 hours a day. He lost his friends. He lost his finances. He lost his reputation, and he lost his privacy. So you mean when he had to go to the bathroom? Yeah. God, man, God. You know, it's one of those deals. He lost everything. Lost everything. Anybody had a reason for a pity party? It was Paul. Anybody had a reason to be bitter? It was Paul. He had done nothing to deserve this. He was serving Jesus. And life came upon him. And circumstances came upon him. Everyone should say this. Attitude will determine 
my altitude. You better write that down. Your attitude will determine your altitude. Your view, your view and your perspective of what is happening to you and the way that you approach it will, approach, will, will determine everything with you. If you have a negative attitude all of the time, I mean, look, we all go through it, so we're human. Everybody say, we're human, right? If there's a difference. What the Bible really calls you to, it doesn't call you to the standard of perfection. So we, you know, we have this misnomer, be perfect as I am perfect. I was like, yeah, how's that working? You know? Your imperfection is a testimony to you that you need Jesus every minute of every hour of every day. So when the Bible is calling us to something, it is calling us to the majority of our life. So if we're looking at our, we're, we're, and we're on this journey, so is the majority of my attitude up? Do I have a right perspective? You know, everybody has a bad perspective. We get tired, we get worn out, we get hungry. Some of you get hangry, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> we all get worn out and we all have a bad attitude from time to time. And if you don't think you have a bad attitude, if you're married, your wife will help you understand that you have a bad attitude. I don't think I have a bad, bad attitude, but apparently I do <laughs> from time to time. Your attitude determines your, your altitude. What affects our attitude? So what I want to do is I want to show you some stuff from Paul's life, but I want you to understand th th this stuff we read like poems, right? We, we think it's just like, oh, you know. You know, this is real time. These people lived in real time with real pain and real suffering, right? This isn't just some simple thing. So when Paul's teaching us this, he's not teaching you principles. He's teaching this from experience, which is the most powerful kind of teaching. Yeah? He's not a theorist. He's a practitioner. Right? He's not a university professor. He's a combat general. Yeah? Church loves to be taught by university professors. We have a bunch of theologians that have no practical life experience. They have no kingdom experience. They don't bear scars. They don't bleed. They've never known pain. And the church becomes weak and anemic because it has the philosophical leaders instead of warriors leading the charge. Oh, come on, man. It's true. What affects our attitude? <laughs> Everybody say this. My attitude will be affected by the pain I experience, the pressure that I feel, people around me, problems, and perspectives. This is what will affect you. We're all affected by these things. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever, have you ever said this? I don't like anything that is happening to me right now. Anybody ever said that? I don't like any of this. I don't like the people. I don't like the places. I'm not even sure if I like myself. I don't like any of it. You don't like what's happening to you. You don't like everything around you. If that's you, then this is for you. Yeah, it can help you out. Get a pen, get a pencil, write it on your hand, get your phone out, take notes. Joy and happiness is a choice. You're as happy as you choose to be. Anybody ever heard this, rejoice? Okay. Any Christians in the room, you ever heard the word rejoice? Any kind of nominal Christians that don't know what the word rejoice actually means? That was me. I'd come to church and everybody would be like, see, using all these languages. I'd be like, what? Righteousness? What, what are these words? I've never heard these words before. And so I went on a quest to understand these words, not from necessarily theological positions, but what does this mean? Rejoice means go find joy. Did you know that? Re, do it again. Joyce. I don't have any joy, pastor. No excuse. Say it with me. No excuse. Go find it. Yeah. Rejoice. Go get it. You are redeemed. You were deemed a sinner because you were born of Adam. You come to Christ and he has redeemed you 
the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What deemed you before does not deem you now unless you let it. God does not deem you that way. He has redeemed you. So when it's telling us to rejoice, go do it again. Go find it. Has Jesus done anything for, me, for you? Then go rejoice. And the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's Philippians. And what is it saying? If you have nothing to rejoice in, rejoice in Jesus. Lord, I just thank you that you're good. I don't know too much, but I, I know you've saved me. I know you died for me. I know I'm born again. I know I'm in you. And if I got nothing else to be thankful for, I'm going to be thankful for that. And I'm going to celebrate that. And I'm going to find joy in, that I, in, the, in the fact that I know you. You know how many people don't know the Lord? You know how many people don't care about knowing the Lord? Indifference right over their head. I was telling my wife, I watch old movies, so full, full disclosure. She's like, dude, really? I watch old movies because they're calm. They're calm. They calm me, right? And they calm me. Sherry's like, oh, I can't sleep. I go, let me turn this movie on. You'll, you'll sleep. <laughs> Ten minutes into that black and white, she's like this. <laughs> I said, see, I told you. You know? <laughs> we were watching Elizabeth Taylor, and I was telling her, like, um, in this movie, that uh, um, people witnessed to her, like, later in her life. And whether she received Christ or not, I don't know. But I remember that people were saying she was kind of interested, but she seemed disinterested. You know? There was too much. She had too much, you know, you know what I mean? Like, you hear this message, the greatest treasure on earth is brought to you, that you can be born again. The greatest treasure in life can be brought, be brought to you, that you can be forgiven from your condemnation. You can be reset before your Father. You can be set on a path and a course of destiny and eternal purpose should you choose to accept it. What news is that? That's great news. That's, this isn't an offer you even think about. This is the, it's the lottery. This is the offer you don't refuse. It's not the offer you can't refuse. It's the offer you don't refuse. You don't refuse this offer. But so many people, if you know Jesus, man, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. You have overcome the evil one, the Bible says. Blessed are you. <laughs> so here we're going to do rejoice. So, and then, so there's a story. We've got to go rejoice. And then there's the other story of Paul. Before he got on the boat, he was dragged out in chains. He's standing in front of a king, and the king's asking him all these questions. And he looks at the king, and he goes, I think myself happy. I can think of a lot of times in my life where I thought myself happy, but coming out of a jail cell where I'm getting bitten by rats and torn in rags and everything and being brought in front of a king where I haven't shaved in six months and I'm standing there in front of him. And I'm going, hey, what's going on with you, Paul? I don't know, man. I think myself happy because I've been true to the heavenly vision. And I stand here today because I follow Jesus. All that has happened to me has happened to me because I am his son. I'm paraphrasing, of course. People are like, where is that in Acts? I don't remember it going quite like that. I'm paraphrasing the story. Say this with me. There are faith factors that are keys to joy in all seasons. Come on. Anybody want joy in all seasons? Right. Right. Jesus isn't keeping joy from you, Christian. Jesus, exactly. Jesus isn't keeping happy from you, Christian. Exactly. God is not withholding. Who's saying that? Who's doing that? All right. Alex over here, right? <laughs> I, I encourage the participation. So long as it's on point, I encourage the participation. <laughs> and so Jesus isn't keeping anything from you. He is for you and not against you. Then why are things the way they are? There's a lot of reasons, but it's not the Lord. People, places, things. Sinful people, sinful systems, sinful world. Oh, ready? Okay. I know we don't like this one. Sinful choices. 
right? The calamity that comes into our life as a result of that. People, places, and things, and your own choices. Most of our despair is self-inflicted. It's true. More than anything else, we're self-inflicting. We cause ourselves more problems than anybody else around us. People, places, and things. That's another story. If you look, God is so, here's the deal. Here's the first faith factor, right? Faith factors. Jesus can bring good out of any situation if you look to him. That's faith factor number one. Doesn't matter how broken it is. Jesus is in the restoration business. Doesn't matter how shot out it is. Jesus is in the restoration business. It's what he specializes in. He gives beauty for ashes. You got ashes, he gives you something beautiful. You got brokenness, he makes it whole. And if he can't make it whole, he'll give you something better. That's who he is. He's like, eh, I don't even know. Carmen, is this even worth working with? Let's give me give you something here. This is better. That's who he is. But you have to look to him. We have this understanding that God engages us. No. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. God has already released his spirit. You have to draw near to him. People, people want God to do things for them by default. It does not work that way. So you can keep right on doing it and keep right on doing it and thinking it works that way, and you'll get the exact same results. You must engage the Lord. You must engage the Lord. People don't engage the Lord because they have issues with their value and worth. They don't feel wor- they have wounds, traumas, pains, whatever. And so they, they, they have an issue engaging the Lord based on, upon the issue of value and worth. That's why we engage him religiously because we, can't really, we really can't engage him relationally until we deal with our issues of value and worth. True. Number two, we, people don't engage the Lord because they don't really believe he's good. That, again, is an incepted lie. Christians walk around all day with a mantra in their mind. God is good. God is good. I know that God is good. But there's a lie that's in their heart that they can't get rid of that continually controls them and demonstrates that God is good. Just the facts. But if you want to get somewhere and you want to go somewhere, you've got to go down these lanes. You have to believe and know that Jesus can bring good out of any season. But you've got to look to him. You've got to look to him. Say it. If I do not partner with the Lord, it's not happening. If I do not look to the Lord... It's not happening. You need to write that down. Church is under this misnomer that everything's God's sovereignty. God is not, not everything is God's sovereignty. Well, the house burned down. That was the will of the Lord. Who told you that? Well, you know, they got divorced. That was God's will. How's that God's will? I don't know, but I know God's will's in there somewhere. God's sovereign over all. God is sovereign over all, and he delegates authority to his people. There are certain areas where he does not. But the vast majority of everything that happens in your life is a direct result of your choices. Your willfulness to do this or your willingness to do that. It's a direct result. Write it down. The only thing God holds sovereign, the, earth, the heavens, even the highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to man. Who's the stewards of the earth? Who's the stewards of the kingdom? We have spiritual authority in all arenas. God withholds only a handful of things that he retains sovereignty to on as it relates to man. He retains the sovereignty of righteousness. In other words, you and I, governments, systems, societies, don't get to determine what is right. (gasps) You mean we don't get to vote on it? You mean just because it's legal doesn't mean it's righteous? Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's righteous. (laughs) Preach it. The Lord maintains righteousness. 
He alone. He's not shared. He gives you his righteousness, but you and I don't get to determine right and wrong. He does. He still will, right? Second thing, another thing that he retains, he retains the coming, the palingenesia, the renewal of all things. Christ is coming, and he will renew all things. But the times and the seasons are not in your hands, nor are they in mine. I got news. United States of America, listen, guys, this world's not ending in a political crisis like this. This world's not ending because it's some biogenocide. It doesn't end that way. How do you know how the world ends? The Bible tells you so. Know your scripture, Christian, right? And stop freaking out. The earth is not going to go down in an environmental disaster. It's not. It isn't. How do we know? Because the sovereignty of this creation, he has committed to no man. It is his. He's not given you that dominion to determine the end or how it will be ended. He alone determines it. And Jesus said it's, time, it's in a time and it's in a season and it will be done. And he will fold up the old like a garment. And the Bible uses a word called palingenesia. I love this word. I like to work it in anytime I can. Because it's the renewal of all things. Who doesn't want everything new? Good God. Renew it now, Jesus. Everything. I don't know. Just do it all. Palingenesia. He renews everything. Everything. To the point where there's no light. Jesus is the light. The sun will not exist anymore. What does that mean? I have no idea what that means. I can't even conceptualize that. And there will be no more sun, no more light, because the Lord himself will be the light. And he will be projecting his light from his throne in Israel. You're not be floating around on glory crowds, thumbing a harp. You will be steward. It's true. You will be stewards of a kingdom. The king, when he comes, will entrust his kingdom to his servants that are faithful. And you who have been faithful with little will be entrusted in much. Therefore, cast aside every weight that has so easily beset you and run the race with endurance that you may receive the upward prize of the calling in Christ Jesus. Everyone in this kingdom will be provided for, but not everyone will be rewarded equally. It's true. Everyone will have their tree. Everyone will have their garden. Everyone will have possession. Thomas had it right. Let us die with him that we may reign with him that we may rule with him. What you do for the Lord is given back to you. This is important. This is important. Faithless generation. Jesus calls you out. Weak and faithless generation. Never has our knowledge of the word been stronger, but never has our light been so dim. Our light is insanely dim. I'm telling you, man, raise up the prophets, Lord. Raise up the evangelists. Raise up those who will not fear and will love not their lives even unto death, who will discard the criticisms of the culture, who will discard the opinions of the day. Where are they? Church has flipped itself. The church is the one murdering the prophets. Anybody who stands up and does anything bold for Jesus will calm down. We don't want to offend anyone. Jesus is a rock of what? You mean Jesus would never offend anyone? Well, who told you that? <laughs> the fact that I'm a sinner is pretty offensive to me. The fact that I can't save myself, I'm offended. My righteousness is not good enough? Nope. But I'm a pretty good guy, Kevin. Not good enough. Not good enough, Kevin. Not good enough. You can't save yourself. You must repent. You must bow your life. You must bow your heart. You must surrender your ego. You must deny yourself and every part of you and submit it to me. The house of the shogun, you must present your head to the shogun. That's the way it was in Japan. 
When you came before the Shogun, you, you bowed. What is the bowing all about? It is the submission of your head to him. If he wants to take it off, he took it off. We bow and we come before a king who is loving and kind and generous, but nonetheless, we come before him in a humble posture nonetheless. We don't come with ego and pride. We come with humility. And in that humility, his spirit exalts us. No flesh glories in his presence. Just a thought. <laughs> What's this got to do with joy, man? I thought you were doing joy. <laughs> I had a conversation with a person recently. And they're telling me all this crazy stuff that they're doing in their life. And I'm like going, I go, hold on, let me get this straight. You're a spirit-filled, born-again Christian, right? I go, I just want to get this straight. Is this, is this true? Yes. Well, then why are you doing all of this? You're doing all this madness. And you're coming and asking why your life is a calamity because you're practicing madness. <laughs> she looked at me and she goes, don't you have any words of comfort for me, pastor? <laughs> like, Jesus loves you? <laughs> your father's in the restoration business? <laughs> Stop breaking it. Stop crushing it. We all make mistakes. We know that in all things, God works to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus can bring good out of anything. That's faith factor one. You want joy? Doesn't matter what you see. Doesn't matter what this is. The Lord will turn it around. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Not everything that happened is the Lord's purpose. Not everything that happens in your life is the Lord's purpose. Let's just say that. This needs to get drilled into the life of the church. Not everything that happens in my life is the Lord's purpose. But the Lord can and will turn it to his purpose if I let him. Say this. Not everything that happens in my life is good. But Jesus is, right? It's true. Not everything that happens to you is the Lord. The devil's a liar. He wants you to accuse God for, for things that are not God's responsibility. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's constantly affronting identity and constantly affronting the very nature of God, which is his goodness. Yeah? Lord's good. Doesn't matter what the circumstances is. The Lord's good. Engage your power, Christian, and you are overcomers, are you not? Are you not? Right. In all what? These things we are more than what? Conquerors. In everything, in every circumstance and situation, we are given the power to conquer. In every circumstance and situation, we are given the power to overcome. Then why don't we see it? Because the Christian doesn't engage. You can't armchair quarterback this kingdom. You can't do it from your couch. You got to get off off your rear end and engage. Right. It's true. This is how it happens. And you don't quit at the first sign of trouble. That's what happens. Well, I tried once. I tried one time. It didn't happen. Must be God's will. Oh, this power doesn't work. No. Again, you need to read your Bible. Knock on that door until it opens. Ask for bread until it comes. Seek, ask, and knock until it happens. Pursue and contend for the promises. I say it like this. God's made a promise. Put a rag in your head and a knife in your teeth and go for it. It'll be an alley fight. Devil's not just going to give it to you on a platter, right? Antidiakos, antidikos is his name in the book of Peter. Anti-word. It's dikos, which is proclamation. So when the Bible says that he is, this is what he's doing, the adversary, it uses a Greek word. There's several Greek words used for the devil. One of them is antidikos, which is anti-proclaiming, right? So he's the one who contends against the promises, he contends against what God says. 
God says, you can have it. Devil's like, mm, not so fast. I'm contending. And if you don't know what you are and you don't know who you are and you don't know what belongs to you, he'll beat you every single time. But when you know what you are and you know who you are and you know how to fight, you'll win. We're lambs. We don't have to fight. Then you're going to get, your, you're going to get the tar beat out of you. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I mean, how many times does he have to say it? You're going to have to fight. This is how I fight my battles, right? That came out of a very painful moment in that guy's life when he wrote that word. Not everything that happens to you is good, but Jesus is. Jesus will, of course, correct you. What happens is, is you go over here and you make a disaster, complete disaster. Lord, I screwed this up. You engage him and daddy fix it. You know what he does? He fixes it. How many times? Every single time. Amen. 70 times 7 in a single day. That's a lot. Right? It's, he's telling you it's infinity. I will do it infinitely, but you must ask me, and he'll do it. But when Jesus does this, he doesn't fix it and then keep you on the same path. He course corrects you. Right? He puts you back on his purpose. Right? That's what he says. He works all things out to the good of those who love him. Lord, I, see, Lord, I love you. Lord, help me with this. So he's going to work it out and are called according to his purpose. So God will take the mess, and in fixing the mess, he course corrects you. You can go off the, you can go off the rails again if you want to. That's up to you. You know, you got that choice. Yeah, this is what we do. We like, here it is. We blow it up. We get back on track. We take a step, and now we're off course again. We blow it up, and, we get, and that's why people are like, their whole life. And then finally, they just lay over in the ink, and they don't ever get back to the oh, right? And then they go, God's not good. He won't give me what I want. Of course not. Jesus' purpose is not to give you what you want. His purpose is to give you the desire of your heart. What he sires in your heart is what he will give you. He will not fulfill your selfish ambitions. Desire means to sire or to impregnate. That's what it means. And so the Lord says, delight yourself in me and I will sire and give you the desires of your heart. God's intent in your life is to give you what he puts in your heart. Most Christians won't look at their heart because great and mighty things they know not of. God puts stuff in your heart that's way bigger than you. God puts stuff in your heart that you immediately feel unqualified for. Right? Anybody with me? Huh? Right? If you really look at what God's told you, it freaks you out. And you don't have a clue. And do you know what he does? He freaks the whole room out. He's not up there going, this anointed pastor, I'm going to give him a vision that freaks him out. No, he freaks everybody out. He's that good. There's plenty for all. Plenty. Plenty. The only kingdom in the world where every citizen is a son and daughter. Every citizen is a prince and a princess. What kingdom's like that? None that I know of. God has a purpose and a destiny exceedingly abounding beyond anything you can ask or think for you. For you. Oh man, I could go into that, but I'm going to pull back. I promised myself I will be a disciplined pastor today. Stay on the notes. <laughs> Jesus course corrects you. So Paul goes through this incredible amount of adversity, and he says to them in Philippians 1.12, he says, I want you to know that everything that has happened to me has furthered the gospel. Like, oh, poor Paul, poor Paul. Send him a gift basket for Christmas, poor Paul. Paul's like, look, don't pity me. 
everything that's going on. I'm not liking it. I'm not embracing it. It's not really where I want to be. But what's happening here, this pain that I'm suffering, is causing something more significant to happen in, in not only my life, but around me. Second, second faith principle. You have to live a life with a, say with me, live a life with a bigger perspective than myself. Most people's perspective of life goes no bigger than 360 degrees around them. It's all about me. Me, glorious me. What have you done for me? It's about me, what I want, when I want it, how I want it. You didn't, what have you done for me lately? You have to live a life. If you want joy, you have to see life with a bigger perspective than yourself. Joy doesn't say with me, joy does not come from self-gratification. Everybody, let's give me an ouch. Ouch. There you go. We got that out of the way. Joy comes from self-sacrifice to something or someone greater than you. It's the call of the gospel. It's what got me. I'm like, I'm all in. I was preached a kingdom. I was preached power. I was preached destiny. And I was like, what? I gave it all. I wasn't preached comfort. They didn't preach to me comfort. Jesus is going to hold your hand. Jesus is about your best life now. That's true, but not true in the context of my vision. God wants my best life, but not according to my perspective. God wants my best life according to my creation, my created design. And I was willing, and I gave it all. And you should be willing to give it all. I give it all because the kingdom is a greater call than your life. The kingdom is something greater than you. Jesus is greater than you. Whatever mountain you choose to live in, and you're all called. Some are called to ministry mountains. Some are called to business mountains. Some are called to family mountains. Some are called to media mountains. Some are called to educational mountain. Whatever mountain you are called to, Christian, you are called to excel there, and you're called to bring the kingdom there. You say, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, welcome to the world. We None of us do. <laughs> Acknowledging it is the first part. Church plays this game. We act like we know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. If we did, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. We need him to instruct us beyond ourselves to show us great and mighty things that we know not of. <laughs> Live life with a bigger perspective of yourself. Joy does not come through self-gratification, but through self-sacrifice. If anyone desires to save his life, he must lose it. <gasps> and if he loses it for what I desire, they will find it. What profit is it to you if you gain everything you want and yet lose your soul? What, or what will you give in exchange for your eternal well-being? Life is bigger than you. Say it with me. Life is bigger than me. I have to see my life bigger than my own selfish interests. Wow. You said that in the United States of America? Yes, I did. <laughs> We have to be God's kingdom. We have to be willing to see ourselves. This would be insanely effective in this culture if, we, if the church would live this way. If we would live with this passionate pursuit of the glory in the kingdom, it would be a complete contrast to everything we see around us. The church models the culture. It doesn't model the kingdom, and that's the problem. And we're diluted in our effectiveness. We're not effective. We're salt, but we're, we're good for nothing. You know, it's just the truth, guys. But if we were to pursue the kingdom, you know what kind of testimony that would be? This pursuit of these people and say, what's that look like? I don't know, but let's discover it. Let's rebrand it. Let's rebrand the book of Acts. We can do that? Yes, we can. 
It translates to every culture, every, every generation, everything. It will transform the world. How do we know? Because it did it in the first century. It radical, that radicalization of the Christian, the belief and the power and the passion and the pursuit of kingdom purposes transformed every sphere in that ancient world in one generation. So can Jesus transform a world in one generation? Yes, he can. But it, he's not, well, if God wants to do it, God's going to do it. Anytime you say that, you have my permission to go to the mirror, take your right hand, and look yourself in the face and do this. Stop thinking like that. Stop thinking like that. Realize you have a part in this story. You are a character in this story. You are chosen in this generation for this generation. You are chosen generation. That doesn't mean you're a chosen generation. It also translates you are chosen in your generation. You are a character in this story. And you know what? There's no dress rehearsal. You're on stage. You're already on stage. So if you're standing there going, and then they look to you for your line and you don't know your line, right? <laughs> you're in this performance. God wants to do something within his generation and he has to do it through his church. So the church must rise from its ineptitude. We must rise from our anemic attitudes. We must sacrifice our cowardice and move with passion and fury into the very thing that he has called us to do and to become what we are destined to become. We must. Or drift off into the horizon. I have this vision in my heart. I'm going to come before this generation. We're going to come before the hall of faith. I tell you this all the time. It's like it says in Hebrews. We're going to come before the hall of faith. That's why the Bible says being, so being surrounded now, this generation, by so great a crowd of witnesses. There's a cloud of witnesses that from previous generations who will follow Christ, watching this generation, what will we do? What will we do, right? Well, if I get sick, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to have to shut my whole life down. I don't know. I know. I get it. Look, it's going to rub you the wrong way. I understand that. You know, I understand that. Paul's in prison, and he's preaching the gospel. Paul's had the, the tar beat out of him, and he's preaching the gospel. He didn't say, well, I think I need to shut everything down for a while. It's just a challenge. Weak anemic. We have to confront this. We have to confront it. If we don't confront our uncomfortability, we'll never change. Say it with me. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. Try it. Jesus is never in the voice of the majority, Christian. Never. Jesus is never in the voice of the majority, ever. Ever. You might want to reach the world in their generation. I do. I do. <laughs> Stephen, you got, you got stoned? Oh, man, no way. What did you guys do? Well, we didn't do much. You know, I had a really cool Facebook page. You know, I had a, you know. <laughs> you know Carmen had a million followers on her Facebook. Wow, Carmen, you led a million people to Jesus? No, not really, no. No. I just had people that thought they were my friends but really weren't, you know. Huh, I mean, joy in the generations. Back to joy, Kevin. Life is bigger than you. You have to see your life with bigger interests than yourself. Ready? This is important. Everybody say, this is important. This is important. You're talk to yourself, right? You're crazy if you don't. I need to stop, say it with me, I need to stop, stop. making diminishing choices that consistently offsets my purpose and my destiny. You need to confront the diminishing choices that you continue to make. 
that offset your destiny and your purpose. People, places, and things. Attitudes. We make choices that are diminishing choices, and they diminish and disqualify or offset us from purpose and destiny. We have to confront it. Now, here's the third one. Here's the third faith factor. This, you guys are gonna, everybody's going to like this one. If you don't like this one, you'll see me afterwards, and you can just go, I didn't like that, Pastor. Say this. I must never, I must never allow people, allow places, places, or things to control my attitude or my perspective. You want to have joy? Stop letting people control your attitude. You want to have joy? Stop letting, letting circumstances control your attitude. The Bible uses the word forgiveness. We know what forgiveness, right? It's one of those big words. We don't, we, no, this is the one that needs to be defined too in Christian dictionary, like from the church. Forgiveness means you put it out in front of you. Forgive, right? Rejoice, go back and get it. Forgive. You put it out in front of you. What would happen? I practice this sometimes, not every day. I wish I did. My life would probably go a lot better. But I put it out in front of me, and I make a conscious decision that no one will offend me today. I make a conscious decision that I will not allow wasters to enter my sphere. I make a conscious decision to that anyone who comes across my path, I will not be offended by, and I make a conscious decision that I will handle myself correctly. I forgive. I give into the future. I have chosen to forgive those who I know will undoubtedly forgive me. Better yet, I've chosen to forgive myself through the inevitable ineptitude or failure that I will make sometime during the next 24 hours. <gasps> We're Christians. We don't make mistakes. Really? <laughs> You kidding me? We must forgive, right? The people around us are critics, companions, or challengers. This is exactly what Paul had. You don't need to, say it with me, I don't need permission to have joy or to celebrate with a hopeful attitude. You don't need anybody's permission for that. You have the Lord's permission. If you say this with me, this is important. If I live for the approval of others, I will die by their disapproval. It's true. We have an audience of one. You know, we hear it always saying that. We have an audience of one. So then we need to understand what the Lord wants and give him what he wants. Say this. If I give Jesus what he wants, he'll pay for it, and he'll give me a tip. That's right. He wants to work through your business. He wants to work through your work environment. He wants to work through your marriage. He wants to, what does the Lord want in that arena? Not what do you want, what does he want? And you say, I don't know what he wants. Well, then you better take the margin out of your life and figure out what he wants. Right? We're, we're to follow one voice. This is a training and a discipline. This is high I'm talking to you guys about high-level Christianity. This is high-level stuff I'm talking to you about. It's easy to talk in a principle, but this is, this is elite. This is, where, this, is where, this is where champions go. Right? This is where this is, they go to these places. They don't go down here. They go here. All right? They're not content with this. They want this. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. He's like, come on up. Come on out. Come on up. He's always, 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 always. Why be content with average when you're called to be exceptional? If we're called to be exceptional, why do we settle for average? That's the next question. Average where, pastor? Average financially? Average relationally? Average faith? Average family? Average future? Why do you settle for average? Why? What is your arena? Pursue excellence. Critics, it's true that some preach, out of, preach Christ out of jealousy because they like to argue. 
There are people in your world that just want to argue. They do. There are people in your world that just want to criticize. They find nothing good. Here's a, here's a rule. I'm going to give you a really great rule of criticism. Ready? I am not responsible to receive every word of criticism. The people who, come on, come on, you, come on, come on, you can cheer. Yeah, that's right. Right. The people who love me are the words that I value. Here's how it looks. If I don't know you love me, that's right, well, you can say it. If I don't know you love me, it's probably not for you to say that to me. Try it. People don't care what you know. They don't care what you think. They care if you care. And if that person is genuinely vested in my best interest and they're a safe person and I can trust them, then they can tell me anything. But if I don't trust that person and I don't believe that that person is willing to draw blood for me, then I don't think you're the person to tell me, no matter how wrong I am. It's true. We run around thinking everybody, everybody's a critic. Everybody's a critic. One of the things critics like to do is they like to deflect off themselves. And so they're criticizing you because it deflects off their own dysfunction. They're hyper-focused on your dysfunction because they don't, that way they don't have to look at their own. Oh, I don't like you, Pastor. <laughs> you're getting too real. This is too much like real life. Take us to fantasy land. Bring out my little pony and a rainbow. That's what we want. <laughs> companions. Companions are those people that come around you. Paul had companions that came around him, right? In the storm, the person that comes around you, that's your friend. That's your bro. That's your sis, right? The ones who flee every time there's something over your life or you're in trouble, that those are not your friends. Those are not your people. They're not. <laughs> Others preach Christ out of, out of selfish ambition. There are people that operate in your life only from the perspective of what they can get from you. Yes, don't be that person. Don't use people, right? Collaborate, but don't use them, right? The principle of win-win didn't come from uh, whatever the guy's name is. He's not even that important. But that principle of win-win didn't come from this business coach. The principle of win-win came from Jesus, adding value one to the other. That's what we're called to do, add value. Collaboration is good, but using people merely for your selfish ambitions is wrong. Others just want trouble. They're challengers. There are people that just are not happy unless they're stirring up trouble. Anybody with me? Right? I mean, they're not happy, and they, like Marcus used the word chaos theory. He said they're not happy unless, they op unless they're applying the chaos theory. They're only happy if there's a tempest whipping around them. It's the only time they feel normal. Crazy's normal. <laughs> crazy makers, right? So Paul has all these people around him, and, Paul, and all of these things are happening. He says, to this person, I want to say this. To this person, I want to say this. To this person, I want to say this. And he says, but he tells the church, he says, listen, I just want you to know that nothing, none of this really matters. The only thing that's really important is right or wrong that the message of Christ is preached, right? The only thing that really matters is that Jesus is glorified. What's he saying? It's not about me, Right? People are empathizing with him, and he's receiving their empathy. People are pitying him. He doesn't want their pity, but he takes their empathy, right? They're empathizing with him. He said, hey, empathy's all right, but let's just keep everything in the bright perspective here. It's not really about me. It's the, higher, it's the higher things that we're focused on. And if the Lord is using me in this manner, then so be it. So be it. You're going to love this verse, Philippians 128. Everybody say it with me. Be fearless. Be fearless. Oh, 
Let's do it again. Ready? Be fearless. Yeah. No matter who opposes you. That's right. It's a sign to them of their downfall that God is with you. You go through circumstances, but you remain faithful to the one who called you. And it looks bad and it looks ugly, but your faithfulness will be a testimony because the Lord will deliver you. If you don't quit, God's going to deliver you. Then all the haters are going to be like, oh, well, I guess, you know, it wasn't like that after all. I guess maybe my perspective or my uh, uh, opinion of this was wrong. Be fearless. If God has set something before you, be fearless. doesn't matter who opposes you. If the devil can control you by, by personal opposition, he's going to own you the rest of your life. As soon as he finds out what, he, what, you will dance, what tune you'll dance to, he'll be playing it. It'll become his new favorite song in your life. Quinn dances to the fear of men. Every time Quinn dance steps forward, fear of men comes his way. Right? Somebody retreats from a little pain, a little splinter in their finger. Every time, if you get a little splinter in your finger, you quit and you cry. I got a boo-boo. I need a, I need a, a, you know, a Band-Aid. If he knows that, then you're going to have a lot of boo-boos along the way because his, his job is to find out. Right? Find you out. He's been studying you from the time you were born, and now you're a Christian, and he doesn't quite know, but as soon as he knows you don't know, then he owns you. Christians don't get this. They don't get this. As soon as the devil knows you don't know what you're doing, he's just like, this guy doesn't know. At first, he's like freaking out. It's like, oh my gosh, he's a believer now. He's got authority over me, you know, and then he'll keep his distance. Then all of a sudden, he comes and tests and comes and tests, and then he realizes you don't know. Then he realizes every time you get a negative reaction, you blame God. Oh, let's do this. Not only can we stop him, but we can actually get him to break covenant and break his intimate relationship with the Lord. You think I'm lying? (laughs) This is what he does. You've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but you've also been given the privilege of enduring for him. Suffering is the, is the Greek word endurance, right? Means it, what it means, it's patience. It means movement under pain. That's the Greek word. You've been given the privilege of moving while you're in pain, Christian. That's what it means, right? Not only have you been given the privilege of knowing him, God has honored you with an ability to move while you're in pain. Wow. We are in this to fight together. Yet we move in pain for him, and we move past our past, and you know that I am still in the midst of, of a great struggle. Paul's saying, I'm not out of the woods yet, but no matter what happens, I will always be thankful, for this is God's will for you, who belong to Christ Jesus. Make kingdom choices. So the third one is make kingdom choices. Say it with me. Make kingdom choices. You want a faith factor, right? You want to be able to have, you know, look, guys. I'm just going to be really clear with you, right? Your life is going to confront you with a problem that just you don't have the ability to face it. Does anybody have ever had that? Uh, and if you haven't, start the clock because it's coming your way, right? I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but that is the inevitability of life. Life is a constant collision, This is why Christ, one of the reasons Christ died is not to cause us to be born again, but to empower his church with an overcoming ability that she shines like a light in the darkness. That when others go down, the church goes up. When others sink, the church rises. That's our ability. 
So times of calamity shouldn't freak us out. We should rise to the occasion, right? Doesn't matter what shows up, we show up. We're the sons and daughters of the highest. We are born of noble blood. Lion is in on you. Lion courses in you. Lion's not afraid of anything. Right? Wildebeest around. Lion's taking a nap. Ugh. Elephants, it's not afraid of anything. It can sleep in the midst of a, in anything because it's the king of the beasts. That's who's in you. You were born of the root of Jesse. You were born of the lion of Jerubah. That's who you're born by. Rise to the level of your birth, Christian. Right? You're not an orphan child. You're adopted with full rights of inheritance, day one. Day one. You don't earn it. You're a daughter or a son of the highest, empowered with a kingdom that is greater than any kingdom you will ever face. Amen. You have to make kingdom choices in your situation. Say this with me. I can worry or I can worship. I can have fear or I can have faith. I can have panic or I can pray. You see that? Now, who is affecting this? You are. You have a choice. You can worship, you can pray, or you can freak out, right? Worship's easy. Worship is easy. <laughs> Let me try to sing this song. Just tell me to sing it. All right, I just need one. All right. Me, me, me. If it looks like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. If it looks like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. Come on. This is how I fight my battles. This is what you do, man. This is what you do. It's easy. You see, I can't sing. Turn it on and turn it loud. <laughs> Be like Quinn. Walk around with headphones on. I see Quinn walking through the yard. And he's got his headphones on. He's like picking up tree branches. <laughs> with a groove. Worship, man. Prayer can be, prayer is simple too. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. You, you can get as far out in this as you have. You have a broad arena in prayer. Lord, I need help. I don't understand. I don't know what's happening. I know you're good. Lord, I need help. That's prayer. 24-7. Help me now, Jesus. And you have faith. Faith is resolute. I don't know how this is working out, but it's going to work out. Don't you know what's going to happen? I tell, I look, I do this, man. I go to the mirror and I tell myself, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to tell you, dude, this is not what's going to happen. You are not going to freak out. You are not going to be faithless. I don't know what's going to happen, but this is what's not going to happen. You will stand your post and you will be what you are and you will not fail in this adversity. That's what's not going to happen. Where's your faith? Where's your faith, huh? Do you just get blown by by every wind? Get cast out to sea? Or do you, have, you, have you begun to develop a resolute faith? Have you begun to do that? Because you must. You must. Worship and prayer is easy. You can even have faith. you got to talk to yourself. David encouraged himself in the Lord, did he not? Right? He lost everything. They were going to kill him. <laughs> they're going to kill him. Literally, on the spot, they're going to kill him. And David said, okay, everybody's against me but the Lord is with me, okay? So I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to have faith that God is with me. He encouraged himself. Have faith. Fourth thing that's going to give you joy. Say it with me. My story is not over 
Who told you that? Who told you your story's over? Who told you your circumstances define you? Who told you your past defines you? Who told you your decisions define you? Did your father tell you that? No? Well, if your father didn't tell you that, then you, and yet you believe it, or you act like you believe it, then what you believe is a lie. Every area of your life that is not under the influence of hope is under the influence of a lie. Any area of your life that is not under the influence of glistening hope is under the influence of a lie, period. Where is there no hope? There you'll find the lie. There's always hope. Who told you that? Your story's not over. Your circumstances, people, places, and things do not have the authority to define you unless you let it. The only one who's allowing that to define you is you. Jesus isn't letting it define you. You're eternally a daughter. You're eternally a son. You're ever before him. Always. Paul had a prophetic word to go to Rome, right? You would think a guy's story is over. Ready? Watch this. Paul, right? We're a prophetic church. We like this stuff, right? We're spirit-filled. We like this stuff. Paul had a prophetic word. You're going to go to Rome, Paul. Woo! You're going to preach in Rome, Paul. Yeah! And so Paul had this vision, most likely, I'm going to rent the Colosseum. It's going to be harvest night for like a year. And Jesus says, mm, no, you're going to Rome, but I'm going to chain you to influential people. And as I chain you to influential people, you will influence them. And they, in turn, will influence their households. And those households that I chain you to are directly connected to Caesar's household. And as I connect that to Caesar's household, I will influence this empire, not just this city. I will not just influence this empire. I will influence the nations. A little different, isn't it? Huh? Paul was arrested and had a Praetorian guard chained to him for 24 hours a day. Every four hours, they would shift the guard. Praetorian guards were the royal guard. There was a lot of nepotism. So whoever was close to Caesar, if they had a son who looked a little burly, they made him a Praetorian, right? Because they never really had to fight. They were just kind of like the royal guard that followed Caesar around wherever he went. They looked good. I don't know what the warrior status was, but they looked good. So most of these people that were guarding Paul, they were all Praetorians. They were Praetorian guards. And they went back to their family. What do you think Paul's doing? Trained to this dude every four hours. Hey, man, I've been waiting for you. Remember when we were talking about yesterday? I mean, he's preaching the kingdom to these people. Rome, Rome was revolutionized. You can mark it. You can mark it from this moment in time, how the gospel began to spread in the, in the empire itself, and how not only, not only the city transformed, but the government itself transformed. And then as the government itself began to transform, God began to transform the nations. Sovereign act of will by God who chose who told Paul, I'm sending you to Rome, but it wasn't according to Paul's ideal. Paul's used to the Pentecost style. Let's get up, 5,000 people come to Jesus. Oons, 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 oons. Instagram, oons, 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 oons. Not many Instagram where people are in a prison, is there? Huh? Some of you have been praying to get out of your job. Maybe God has changed you to influential people because he wants to transform that culture. Huh? Maybe he's chained you to the situation that you're in because he wants to do something more significant than you. You see, Paul never dot off the perspective that God's working here. Huh? 
Okay, Lord, you're chaining me to something. By the, by, by the fourth chapter of Philippians, it's the third or fourth chapter, he's, when he's finishing this letter, he's saying that there are Christians even now in Caesar's household. Huh? Believers came to Christ. Ladies, you're going to love this. The women came first. We're like, when a man comes to Jesus. Yep, when a man comes to Jesus. But nine out of ten times, the dude comes first. It's true. In households. It's what happens if you're married. Don't marry an unbeliever. Right? Don't, don't, don't do it. Don't torture yourself. Don't do that. People come to me and they're like, oh, God, pastor, help me with my marriage. Help me with my marriage. What do you think? What do you think? I'm like, well, it's usually the woman. Right? I, I'm going like, to put the guy's face up on a poster the day the guy comes to me and goes, hey, man, I'm having problems with my marriage. Can you help me? You know, can you give me some? So if that's you, come on. We'll put, make you a poster guy out of that. But usually it's the women. You know what my, always my first question is? Because usually if I know them, I know them. But if they're not, then they're, they're, I said, is he a believer? And inevitably the answer is no. And what I try to explain to them is like, look, there's no accountability in their life. Like if you're a Christian and I deal with Christians all the time, I'm like, you're a born-again believer. This is not who you are. So you need to reconcile this because you're accountable to the Lord and you're accountable to the word. <gasps> We're accountable? Yes, you are. If you're a Christian, you are absolutely accountable. You're accountable. You're accountable to what that scripture teaches. You're not accountable to your own opinion. You're accountable to that word. And you're accountable to that king. And so the way that course correct in people's lives is to call them unto the purposes that God has called them to. Right? That's the idea. So these people were coming to Jesus. Caesar's household, by the, by, but within, within a short amount of time, they had come, to, they had come there. So the Lord chains him to influential people. Who are you chained to? Who are you chained to? Who have you been praying to get away from me and you can't get away? <laughs> Who is it? What is the influence that Jesus wants you to bring? Not your influence, his. Lord, what do you want me to do here? I'm chained to this situation. I can't get out of it. Your key is probably in an unfulfilled moment. There's probably a moment there that you haven't fulfilled. There's something there that you haven't fulfilled, and that's what's unlocking it. That's just another story for another time. And the Lord also slowed Paul down in order for him to write. Sometimes Jesus slows you down so you can appreciate your family more. Sometimes Jesus slows you down because you've got the wrong perspective, and he wants to show you something different. Sometimes God slows you down because, in this case, Paul had a wealth of knowledge that was going to be lost if Jesus didn't stop him and extract it from him. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and the majority of it was written from prison. Why? Because Paul wouldn't have stopped any other way. And you and I wouldn't have the New Testament in its current form if the Lord didn't do that. So you have to see it from God's perspective. You have to see it from a different eyesight. You have to listen to him, which is again, this whole understanding of developing this intimate relationship with the Lord. We say we have it, but do we really? We'll have a relationship with Jesus. You know, really? When's the last time you heard him? Hmm? When's the last time he instructed you? Does he lead you? Do you call on him? Do you ask? Huh? I mean, that's, that's, that's where it happens. This is how this stuff begins to happen. Like, we have a powerful kingdom that's been given to us. Insane. Either we believe it or we don't. You either believe this scripture or you deny it in a sense that God's miracle power is for today, or you can say, no, it's not. And if you, by chance, believe that power is for today, then the obvious question is, well, how do we get there? Huh? And what is it about me that is preventing me from coming there? What are lies that I believe that keep me from engaging that? What are pains that I carry that are keeping me from going there? What, what is it? 
What are mentalities that I carry? What is religious thinking do I carry that keeps me from going where the Lord has called me to go? We have to be willing to confront that. Anyway, say it with me. My story's not over. That's right. It's not over. A chapter is not a story, is it? Is it? You've had some bad chapters, right? Maybe you've been writing a horror story. <laughs> you've been writing a horror story. Other people have been writing tragedies. Let Jesus write the stories. Let Jesus write the chapters, right? Let him write it. He's got a better story than you. You can say this. Where am I at? <laughs> you can't view, you can't view your life, the chapter as your whole story. You can't allow yourself to get stuck in moments. Again, the enemy robs God's people because we get stuck in moments of failure. And we think we're nothing more than our failure. Who told you that? You think you're nothing more than that moment. Who told you that? You think you're nothing more than your past or this or that. Who told you that? Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus is the final answer, Christian. It's the final answer. What the Lord says is all that matters. Final answer. Say this. My desire is to let Jesus write this story. Right? We're going to do a little prayer. I don't know how this prayer is going to go, but we're going to work it out. But the point of the prayer is to do this. We want to commit this part of our lives to Christ. Right? We want to commit our lives. We want to give him an opportunity to do something. It's a very simple prayer. This is for believers. In order, say it with me, to make the rest of my life the best of my life, right? You're like, I got 10 years left. Well, who first of all, who told you that? But even if you do got 10 years left, what if those 10 years were the best part of your life, right? What if those 10 years were the most effective part of your life? I could tell you stories off that. So why don't you say this? Jesus, I give you permission to write my story. I'm not defined by my past. I'm not defined by my choices. I'm not defined by others. I'm defined by you. I choose now in this moment to give you permission to guide me, to reorient me, and to write my story in Jesus' name. Do you believe that? I just want to do a quick prayer. Amen. Come on. We're going to do that. I'm out of time, but I want to do this. If you're watching or if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, this is what it's all about. You can be forgiven. You can be made new. You can be set on a path of destiny. You can be set into a course of life that you've never experienced. Forgiveness of sin and life eternal. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that we all have a sin problem. All of us are born separated from God. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. Jesus isn't one among many. He's the one and only. There's one rock star and his name's Jesus. It's not Buddha. It's not Gandhi. It's not Muhammad. Jesus is his name. Right? At the name of Jesus, every knee bows. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You're going to do it in this life or are you going to do it in the one to come? And believe me, you don't want to be confessing that in the Lord to come, in the world to come. The state that you die in is the eternal state. If you die unsaved, you're lost. All right? This is today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, today. Do not harden your heart. Do not let your ego get in the way of what Jesus is offering you in humility. Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. Right? Simple prayer. 40-second prayer. 40-second prayer. It'll change your eternity. What? <laughs> what is my problem? We're going to pray it. We're going to pray here. We, Elevate's going to pray. If you've never done it before, today's your day. All you got to do is open your heart. 
You pray not with your head, with your heart. You just open your heart. Open your heart. Let your guard down and let Jesus in. Say this, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I let you inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me and to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. We bless you. We have Christmas pictures in the hallway. So you guys should know the drill. If you don't know the drill, someone will be over there to tell you how to do it. Amen. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Last blessing. Just take it. Just take it. Just take it. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May he give you peace and may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer team's available. You need prayer? Please see them over there. They will absolutely pray for you.